when I realized that, that, hey, there's going to be a time when I don't have problems. And that the only time that's going to be is when I'm dead. So as long as I'm having problems, that means, you know, God's still using me to grow. Uh, so I look forward to problems. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't go creating them, you know, unintentionally. But my attitude towards problems has shifted so that when I see one, you know, I might start off like, oh, man, not it. But I'm like, wait a minute. I catch myself. I'm like, this is an opportunity to learn and grow. Let's go get this puppy. And so my attitude has shifted. And, and yeah, running into the storm and, and being excited for the growth that's going to occur. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Stories That Sell. I'm your host, Scott Ramage. I have with me today, Mark Bielik. But first, if you're a podcaster like me, you love hosting your show, but get discouraged by the time it takes to produce and market the final product, turn to Podcast Media Machine, the number one solution for podcast design, production, and management. You can find out more about them at podcastmediamachine.com. Mark, welcome. Ah, Thanks for having me, man. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm maybe a little more excited than you realize. Cause I haven't, I haven't shared part of uh, my story as you were kind of sharing your story pre pre uh, pre roll here. So I'm, I'm a little excited to kind of get into really, uh, kind of tragedy turned into where you're at. So, uh, hang on folks. This is going to be a good one with a lot, a lot of really great, um, life lessons and, and leadership lessons as well. Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, um, and about your family. We all know about your family too. Absolutely. You know, um, oof, what I do, you know, I tell people, uh, I sell cancer insurance and people kind of look at me like what in the world? There's one, there's insurance for that. You know, two, the other response I get is I don't want cancer. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not selling cancer. I'm selling cancer insurance. And so, um, you know, how that all came about is, is kind of, there's multiple stories involved. It's pretty lots of layers. So back when I was probably, I don't know, six years old, you know, 1985, um, the first Nintendo entertainment system, the original one came out and I was all excited. And I said, Hey, you know, mom and dad, I really want one. I remember vividly it was like $99 plus tax, mm -hmm. you know, so $105 out the door. And my parents looked at me and said, we don't have $105 for that. And I thought, oof, you know, and that kind of left, um, uh, I don't know, just this desire in me. I'm like, man. Uh, and, and, you know, I grew up, don't get me wrong, lots of love, lots of, you know, didn't lack anything, but we just didn't come from much, you know, um, you know, was on food stamps, powdered milk, you know, the WIC program. My dad was an auto mechanic. Uh, my mom, you know, was a stay at home mom and did some in-home daycare, but there was not a ton of extra money. And so I swore to myself, like, man, I never want to be in a situation where I don't have a hundred dollars for something that like I want or, or might need. You know, that was the other thing. My father being a mechanic, we drove pretty beat up cars that broke down a lot. Yeah. He could always fix them, but, uh, but they were always breaking down. And so that was kind of part of my upbringing is fi finding that out. And then fast forward to um, my senior year of high school. Um, it's kind of November, 1996. Uh, we sit down for a family meeting, uh, which we didn't really have much at that time. And my family, you know, we're all sitting there and they tell me that my father has lung cancer and, um, you know, it's inoperable. It hasn't metastasized yet. 
and uh, they're going to put him through the standard uh, chemo radiation thing. And they, they're pretty optimistic because he's young. He's only 41 years old at this time. He could probably handle a bunch of poison in his body to to kill this stuff. And so the that senior year, I spent getting out of class early, driving him back and forth to those radiation treatments every single day. Um, and we didn't live on the streets, so, so don't get me wrong here. But they they you know, my dad was a blue collar guy and so spent most of all the money that he made. So they had to file bankruptcy to kind of protect the house, get rid of the credit card debt. They gave his truck back to the bank because it was leased, which is why, you know, I was driving into treatments and mom had the other car and was working, managing a cafeteria at an elementary school. And so, um, cancer, you know, went away, he went back to work. And after about two more weeks, um, of some lower back pain, he went back in for a scan and they found out it, it was everywhere. And unfortunately, uh, eight months, Roughly after he was diagnosed, this is August of 1997. I just graduated high school. He he passed away uh, in our living room uh, in a hospital bed where his favorite recliner used to sit. And so I never thought in a million years that, you know, my dad was tough as nails. I mean, he could kick my, even though I was slightly taller than him, weighed a little bit more than him, he could kick my butt uh, until he got sick. And, and before that, I always thought cancer was just like a, a severe cold that, you know, like the flu, most people get over occasionally someone passes away. And yeah, if you got the melanoma, that was bad, but any others was kind of fine. And it, um, it turned our world upside down and my family kind of imploded after that. Um, I found myself a couple, you know, he died in August by December, um, through some other situations and circumstances. My mom had moved out of the house, started dating someone else early in 1998. My sister almost got taken away by the state. She was only 14 at the time and refused to go to school. So um, she actually got sent to live with my aunt down in Missouri. So here I am as an 18 year old young man um, living in a house all by myself, essentially. And uh, my, my father's plans for me were to go to college, get a safe, secure job. You know, he grew up kind of a hippie. Neither one of my parents graduated high school. So in his mind, that was the path to success. Um, you know, work for a good company, have good benefits. Um, I'm pretty good with technology. So he thought electrical engineering would be the way to go to kind of design the cool things that I love to play with. But uh you know, given that our family was distracted my senior year, I never really took an ACT or SAT. I didn't really go to college right away. I mean, it, it I was lost for a while. There's some pretty dark days for, for everybody involved there. Yeah, I mean, that's a I, – I don't think there's any good age to lose a parent to anything. But no. at that age for your father, when you're really kind of emerging into your own manhood, your own – like it's kind of like that time where it's like, hey, you're you are a full-blown adult now. And your dad's gone and that weight and all the family transition that had to be pretty heavy. Um, so did you end up going to college? Yeah, that's a good question. Kind of, uh, you know, I spent about a year trying to figure out what to do. Um, you know, and then, then I was in a position where, cause they didn't have a ton of money. I started having to work full time to, yeah, I had this house that was paid for, but it's, there's still bills there's still utilities. So, um, I took those skills that I had and I ended up getting a job for a local copier repair place. And I was able to fix copiers and kind of provide for myself. Um, I tried going to school, you know, night school at a local community college, you know, so work by day school at night, but that routine, uh, I just didn't like it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I've got maybe two semesters of community college in my credit. That's about it. Yeah. Well, no shame whatsoever. I mean, it's, nah. it, I love the, I love these stories because there's so much you, you talked about it. Your dad had like this idea of this electric being an electrical engineer and society really pushes towards this is how you are successful. Yet it's interesting. I interview person after person after person who either went to college doing something completely different and is very successful or never went to college and is very successful. I have a master's degree doing nothing with it. Of course, all of it led to where I'm at today, right? It, it's the same. My wife has a doctorate and, and she's like, 
that's not what I'm doing anymore. But I think it's just a testament to finding something that really um, it, it hits at a different level. You know, cancer obviously hits at a deep level for you. I, in 2000, I was graduating or finishing up graduate school, 2001. And I um, lived across, I lived on the East Coast. My parents were on the Pacific Northwest and my dad got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. And so kind of went through that, really thought he was going to not make it through there. And it's, it changes, it changes the family. I mean, he's still alive. He's, he's healthy ish, but it changes the family dramatically where, um, it's just like the, the course is going this way and it's just absolute complete course reassignment. And, um, yeah. So at 18 kind of getting a course reassignment, if you will. So what did you end up doing? I mean, you have all these skills and when did you find out that you needed to do something about cancer? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I try. Yeah, I had to provide for myself. I found out that uh, while I love technology, I really don't like fixing people's problems. You know, because every time I'd show up <laughs> to fix the copier, yeah, um, you know, some of it would be operator error, a lot of it would be end user training. You know, um, you know, I can overnight a part and do my best and have it here tomorrow, but that's not good enough. So there's a lot of just negative human interactions that just wears on someone. So I did that for about four years. Um, after that, one of my buddies uh, was going to go. It was May of 2003, and he was telling me about this internship that he was going to do for the Southwestern Company, uh, where he's going to travel to New England, sell educational books door to door, earn about $1,000 a week, and potentially win a trip to Mexico. And I'm like, this sounds awesome. I need a job. Um, speaking about selling, um, being the fact that my parents had both uh, dropped out of school, you know, they were very young. They were 20 and 16 when they met. They were 24 and 20 when they had me. And so when I got to about seventh grade, I remember vividly, like the, there was no help with my homework. Like my dad was highly intelligent and he could figure things out and give me the right answer. But back then, and I don't know how it is today because my kids are pretty young and we homeschool our kids, but um, they wanted to show the work, you know, they said, you know, and so he could get the right answer, but that wasn't the way the teacher showed me. So these educational books, you know, gave people examples step by step by step where you might understand it in the classroom, but then you get home later to do the homework and you just, you need that example and that help. So I was like, I can absolutely sell those. I could have used those as a kid. You know, I can't really sell something that I don't really believe in. I don't feel good about that. Um, Zig Ziglar talks about that. That's kind of working at Ford and driving a Chevy there every day. It just doesn't add up. So that summer of 2003, I, I did that. And uh, that was one of the hardest, toughest, most rewarding things I ever did um, was uh, I wrecked my car. I had to ride a bike for part of the summer. I won that first trip to Mexico out of the country and uh, swore I would never do anything like that ever again. Part of that was um, over the summer, I decided I wanted to be an oncologist and really help people that were going through similar things that my family dealt with. So I got a job at a clinical research organization here in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I live and started off just as a part time peon and worked my way up to one of the top three people that actually run those studies. Um, I handled logistics. You know, I read protocols from clients and I worked closely with the project manager and study manager to make sure these things happened um, and loved what I do. I still love medicine. Uh, but again, working full time, trying to do some school at night here and there, it just became overwhelming. And at about 20, in my mid 20s now, if I was to continue that path, you know, I'd have to complete my undergrad for four years, then go to med school, then do residency, then do specialization. So I'm looking at like a 15 year time horizon of, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I want to be in college that long. Plus, 
I got to know some oncologists locally and uh, they do great, great things, but you know, at, at, at a great severe cost, you know, you're dealing with the emotions of uh, patients, families, you're, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, always being on call, things happening, having to stay abreast of the latest uh, developments in, in cancer research, just all those $250,000 a year, probably more than that now of malpractice insurance, just a lot of stuff. So I, I slowly kind of was deciding that probably wasn't how I was going to impact the world. Um, I got a job in the mortgage business. I had a lot of friends make a lot of money in the mortgage business. So I started that. And, and this is a great story too. Um, when my father passed away, he he loved rose bushes. We had a rose garden in the backyard of probably over a hundred different rose bushes. And he could tell you all of them. And so we took uh, half of his ashes and spread them out amongst his rose bushes. And uh, after about three years, he had a little bit of life insurance, not much, but after about three years, my mom said she's going to need to sell that house. And I thought, my gosh, we can't sell the house. That half of dad's back there. You know, the other half is buried with my grandfather in um, Warrington, Missouri. So I'm like, I'm going to buy the house. So I go to, you know, the bank locally and I didn't have much credit as a kid. So they, they kind of laughed me out of there. So I go to the phone book and I look under mortgages. I call the first person. It was a, a broker shop. And this is probably why we had the crisis of, of 2008. Um, they said, yeah, sure. You know, we could get that for you for about $600 a month. Do you think you can pay for that? I'm like, sure. Well, you know, the, the note was only going to be about $55,000 and it's crazy when I, and I didn't even know what I was doing, but when I looked back at the the documents, they gave me like an 18, 18 and a half percent interest rate. So it was like the highest interest you could legally give someone. It's almost like I got a mortgage from a payday loan collector. Uh, and so, I mean, that was more than half of my take-home income at the time. So, you know, and being young and, and not as mature and disciplined, I think I made maybe one or two mortgage payments and just couldn't swing it. So that house ended up getting foreclosed on. So again, going back to selling something you believe in, I got messed over by that industry. And uh, I'm like, yep, I can I can see value in this. I can sell this. I can do right by people and find a win-win-win scenario. The challenge is I, I got into that business in about 2007 and I watched it collapse from the inside out. And... Um, I had bought a, a plan from a friend of mine in 06 that, uh, the, and when he showed me what our plans do, I was like, where in the hell was this when my dad was going? We could have totally mm -hmm. used this. Like the money would have been super duper helpful. The, the travel benefit, um, you know, if we would have sent him somewhere like Mayo Clinic that they actually pay for, maybe he would still even be alive today. So I can, and it was only 50 bucks a month for a young guy under 30. Uh, and the, the magic uh, of this is there's other companies that do similar things, but uh, we they have a money back feature. So if you're healthy and don't use it after so many years, you actually deliver. In fact, I, last week I got the opportunity to deliver a check to to the first time for one of my personal clients. So they got a plan for me in September of 08, stayed healthy, which is, you know, in our business, no news is good news. Uh, I surprised them last week on Thursday and brought them a check for $25,000. Wow. Free and clear, tax-free, uh, 100% of their money back. So I'm like, money back guarantee, sign me up for that. And at that particular time in 06, my friend said, you know, Mark, you'd probably be pretty good at something like this. And I remember I just had flashbacks to my book days. I'm never doing that again. Uh, no, thank you. I'm going to be a cancer doctor. In 07, no, thank you. I'm going to run this mortgage business. Well, that same friend called me in, I don't know, March of 08 to, on a Friday to go get a beer. And, you know, we all know what was happening in, in late 07, early 08. And I was like, forget the beer, man. Are you guys still looking for people? This is kind of crazy. Um, and now that's been about 15 years ago. And it was kind of an intersection of everything I was always after. One, helping people that are going through similar things. Two, you know, um, I made that clinical research organization millions of dollars. You know, you know, when I left, you know, I think I was on pace to make 55 grand a year. You know, so there was, uh, 
not a lot of uh, value based on, or not a lot of income personally for the value I was bringing in the marketplace. That's why I kind of wanted to do the mortgage business because there was a lot more revenue there. So this is kind of an intersection of all that. And what I love about what I do now is that um, it's not just cancer. I have uh, families who have babies born early in NICU, heart attacks, strokes, just other car accidents, hospital stays. And so um, I'm able to help a lot more people that are dealing with serious health stuff, not just cancer, even though cancer is kind of the one that's super near and dear to my heart. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing you actually found that opportunity. It's funny how these opportunities come in front of you. So are you with – so I'm curious about the structure of the business because the way my mind works. So are yeah, you totally. kind of your own boss? Are you – you're with an organization or are, are you just representing them with your own firm? How does that work and how does that – it's kind of like a cycle. It's really a, mostly a sales position is really what you do. Is that correct? Kind of. It started off that way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's totally different now. Yes, we still protect families. You know, now as a, as a key leader, I'm responsible for more organizational growth, development, um, systems, processes, procedures, training, developing, leading other leaders, that sort of stuff. It started off as sales, you know, because that's what generates revenue today. That's what right. impacts families today. So uh, the organization I'm a part of is uh, it's a 1099 you know, self-employed subcontractor that's, it's a captive agent. So I represent this company exclusively. Um, and there's some pros and cons to that as well, um, that I, we won't really get into. It's just, just what I picked and what I like. Um, but yeah, I'm a highly motivated, uh, business of one at first that's, you know, kind of in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And there's a lot of other people, you know, training and pouring into you because your success is the agent is the agencies and the team success. And so, you know, what I love about this, this is rare, um, is it's a win-win-win scenario. Most of life is uh, is a zero-sum game where in order for me to win, you have to lose. Like I always tell folks, like if I'm going to sell you my car, you know, for me to win and get a higher price, you have to lose and pay a higher price. Or if I, you know, for you to win and pay less, I have to lose and accept less. That's the way I mean, the stock market is. Most of the life is a zero-sum game like that. What I love about what we do is the more that we help other people, by making them aware of what we do, protecting their families, letting them have this great coverage when they need it. And if not giving their money back, the better everybody else does. And that's, that's very, very rare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was kind of what I was kind of alluding to is like, what's the, what's the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial angle in what you do, which is very evident. Um, and then like now you're in this leadership position and so I'd love to talk a little bit more about that evolution from being the sales guy to now where you're in a leadership position. Um, I mean, you've been doing this for, you said, 15 years. So it's, it's not an overnight story, but no. I think there's probably a lot to learn. I think there's a lot of people who think that in order to be a leader, they've got to start as a leader. And that's one of the things I, I really like to point out is I tell my son this all the time. He's 18. I'm like, hey, like he's working at a, a big chain um, uh, sporting goods store. I said, like, you can be incredibly happy there for the rest of your life. If you have the mindset of just digging in and, and being like an entrepreneur, like solve problems for them, do the work like it belongs to you, the business belongs to you and move forward. And this is kind of what I've always thought about. And, but there's just so much focus now. And like, I just want to start my business and hire all the people out and do these things. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that journey. Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, 
sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. Let's start. I think the first question you said was just the entrepreneurial nature is, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's betting on yourself. Like if you don't sell something, if you, I mean, I, I hate this analogy, but you'll, if I don't kill something and bring it back to the cave, no one's going to eat, you know? So, I mean, if I don't, uh, protect families and help them see the value proposition here. Uh, and, and again, it's, this isn't selling ice to Eskimos. This isn't like red popsicles, or lazy, like we don't trick people into buying things they don't want or need, but you have to actually go out hunt for and win new business and, and be really good at getting people's attention. Like my mentality, we talked about this uh, before this started is, like, I don't care if you get this or not. I really don't. I do care that you take a look at it with an open mind and make a good decision based on good information. And the reason is I know how much it could have helped my family when we didn't have it. I've seen over the past 15 years, my clients, someone from my second week in this business um, has used our plan substantially. Um, we paid for them to travel over five hours away from home to go to Omaha to the med center there and get some of the very best care. He had an H. pylori infection, which is like a, a gut bacteria, kind of like E. coli, just less, uh, less popular, less known that was in intensive care that if he was at his little local hospital and we're in a little small town, he lived at 10,000 people. I don't know if he'd be here. I mean, I hope he would be, but um, I'm kind of a betting man. If you tell me I've got 50, 50 uh, odds of making it, if I stay local and if I go to a specialist, my odds go up to 80% survival. I'm taking those odds. I'm doubling down on 11. If you're showing a six every single day and twice on Sunday, man. So that was the part of it is just betting on yourself, finding something you believe in, that uh, and, and having a good support system that doesn't just smack you on the butt and say good luck, but actually invest in you. I had a lot of great mentors over the years, both in this business, outside of this business. So that's the first step. Um, and, you know, I, I remember my first week working 55 hours in the field plus study. And I mean, I think I made 200 bucks for my first week. <laughs> you know, at that particular time, this is a great story, too. Um, our mortgage was fifteen hundred dollars a month. Um, we had two car payments of five hundred dollars plus utilities and food. I mean, our. And we had about a thousand bucks in the bank, which, you know, the numbers I read now tells me the average American only has 400 bucks in the bank. So, I mean, by, by that standard, that, that sounds like a decent amount of money. However, you know, $3,000 a month, I had $10 or I'm sorry, 10 days of operating capital in the bank. I mean, that's about as close to insolvency as you can get without actually being there. So um, I love this. So one of my favorite movies growing up was The Devil's Advocate with uh, Al Pacino and uh, Keanu Reeves. And, and there's this great line in there where you know, Al Pacino, the devil, you know, is played by John Milton. It's written uh, for Paradise Lost, who he was the author of that, um, looks at Pacino and he goes, how do you perform under pressure? Like, can you sleep at night? You know, because some people under pressure focus and other people fold. And ever since I saw that in the, in the late 90s, I'm like, I focus, I don't fold. And uh, so failure just isn't an option. And yeah, that sucked. And I had no idea how I was going to make my bills that month. But you know what I did? Uh, I studied over the weekend. I went right back to work Monday and I kept going and allowing myself the space and the grace to fail forward uh, and get really, really good at this over time. And nothing, you know, worthwhile uh, is easy, really. I mean, if I've never played tennis before and I want to get good at playing tennis and I'm only going to practice like an hour every other Monday, like I'm not going to get good. I, and so, I mean, so many people, you know, we've lived in some of the greatest, uh, 
times in American and, and world history where we've had it so easy for so long that people just haven't really uh, had to deal with adversity. And so they get so upset uh, when they don't have it instantly that they don't really know what to do. Um, kind of a backstory about this too. My father, and like I said, he didn't graduate school, but he was very, very into education. And, and he was read to me as a child. He taught me how to play chess at a young age. So I mean, me learning how to think three and four moves in advance and develop that critical. And if I do this, he'll do this and I do this. Man, that has been such a blessing in my life because I can learn things and pick them up quickly. And typically, I can do better than most people without a ton of effort. And um, that's, a, that's a great blessing. However, oftentimes our biggest strengths can be our biggest weaknesses. And so where the weakness comes from is um, I didn't have to develop discipline and maturity growing up. So even in my 20s, even in my early 30s, when, when I put forth effort and things wouldn't go my way, I did not know how to deal with that because I hadn't had to do that. So I, I really had to develop discipline and maturity to kind of get through those valleys of the shadows of death and get to the other side. And, um, you know, in order to do that, I've done, I do things that challenge myself, like run marathons um, and ultra marathons and just, you know, do 75 hard and, and other various things that like, I can't just show up and rely on my talents. I have to intentionally develop discipline. And so I just put my head down. I went to work and I trusted and I communicated with my leadership team back then. And when I was struggling, I called them, you know, it wasn't a cry session. It was just like, man, I'm just really struggling. And we had great conversations on how to get through that. Uh, and so I ended up being a top first year producer, uh, a fast start award winner. And because of that, um, they'd asked me to share like, hey, can at this Monday meeting, can you give us three points on how you had a successful week? And sure, I do that. Or, hey, on this conference call, can you speak for 20 minutes about your success for the past six months? And I remember um, that first year at our national sales meeting in New Orleans, they said, hey, you know, can you share your dad's story and what motivates you? So I'm on a stage in front of 600 people, you know, sharing that. And um, I didn't really know this until I started that I really enjoy teaching. I really enjoy helping others and being a part of their testimony. And so that developed to, can you train these people? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Follow me and do what I do. And so I'd go to work. I follow, And then I found out it's not that easy. <laughs> you know, um, oftentimes a big mistake uh, is they take the top sales guy and they say, okay, you're now the leader. And that's a totally different mind. That's a totally different skill set. And again, I was really good at sales and I had to have, I was not that good at training. So guess what? I had to, uh, do some soul searching and say, okay, am I going to, am I going to go through the same? And nobody that's good at anything likes to suck at something else. Let's, let's be real there. And so um, I had to say, I'm, I had to be very intentional say, I'm going to get good at training people and showing them, you know, to be duplicatable and uh, the systems and processes that, that I don't care who you are, what personality type it's going to work. And so I was able to, to get good at that. And then, um, you know, where I'm at now, it's organizational growth and development, very entrepreneurial. I mean, it's, it's, you know, top line revenue minus business expenses equals net business revenue. We have budgets, we have uh, training and developing, we have all sorts of crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, now it's leading leaders and developing other people. And so, I mean, again, I had the same mindset and it's, it's hiring, um, unfortunately, sometimes firing, you know, I call that liberating people back to the marketplace. And uh, <laughs> yeah, when it's just, not, and it's okay, it's not a good fit. I have some, some good friends that, that, are great, successful in other sales careers, just not here because it's just mm -hmm. a different type of sale. It doesn't make them bad people. You know, I, I liken it to athletics where some people are baseball players, some are football, some are hockey. They're all great athletes. It's just, this might not be the particular sport for that individual. But again, I wasn't very, I was like, oh, I'm good at training. I'm good at sales. It'd be easy to just say, Hey, come follow me. Right. And uh, that wasn't as easy as well. So every step of the way I've had to develop uh, and grow. Uh, which is one of our core values here, you know, service growth and excellence is really what we focus on for core values. That's really good. I, there's this recurring theme that you kind of brought up is that you start something and you're not, 
as good as you think you're going to be, or it's not going the way you're going to be, but it's, it's that persistence and continuing to like stick with it and then going and engaging in it, learning about it, having mentors, having people lead you through it. So you mentioned 75 hard and, um, I've been a really, <clears throat> I'm gonna take this a little different direction real quick. Cause I have been, a. um, kind of anti seven seventy five hard for about a year. But the backstory here is, is I have a long history in fitness. Okay. So like I've owned a gym and I've been in the fitness industry now for, I don't know how many years, 10, 12 years. And I look at it. I'm like, it's just something telling you exactly what to do. And it's really not manageable over time. But <laughs> recently all these people posting about 75 hard, and I've looked at something that occurred for me when I did it. I did it. I didn't go on to phase two. If you know about 75 hard, there's these different phases. I just did 152 days of 75 hard Um, straight. And so, and I failed the first two times and then I just started boom the next day on and I did 152 days and I'm like, yeah, great. Yeah. I look great. I felt great. And, um, (laughs) but recently, and I was like, this isn't for everybody because sometimes it's a little too extreme and there's certain personalities that it fits really well. But when I think of the terms of an entrepreneur, a business owner, or an entrepreneur, I see absolute value because I look back now, all of those habits are pretty much daily in my life because they were built as habits over time. And um, what is it from you that doing something like 75 hard and a marathon and then an ultra marathon, how to you does that translate into your career? Mm. And you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to differentiate like your personality is like, Hey, I didn't do as good as I'm going to do. I'm going to dive into this and do awesome. And it's, and it's worked really well for you. So how, how does that 75 hard, how did that change you or these marathons? How did that change your mindset is when it comes into work or did it? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if it changed my mindset as far as doing a complete 180. Um, but what I'd have to say is that it definitely developed it. I mean, if you listen to, to Andy Priscilla talk, you know, it's not a fitness program. Uh, yes, there's a fitness component, but it's really a mental toughness program. Like, do you have the discipline to take a, a picture a day and to drink a gallon of water? When if you're not used to doing that, I tell you what, the first five days you spend more time in the bathroom than your desk. Um, yeah, you know, do you, when you don't feel like doing it, when your legs are sore, and so it's, do you have the discipline and maturity to do what's required? And yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's sustainable for indefinitely. That's why it's only 75 days, you know. Um, but what it did is it every time I've done something hard like that. Um, and, and this happened early in my career and I see it happen with people before the challenge I think is that, uh, most, most things that are worthwhile are harder than people realize. You know, we see Kobe Bryant play basketball. We see Dwayne Wade and we see it, Michael Jordan from when I grew up and they make the pros always make it look easy, man. Mm-hmm. What you don't see is the hard work that goes in front of that. You know, Larry Bird shooting all those free throws, you know, Michael Jordan, after he won the, what was it? This third title, he looks at Tim Grover and says, I'll see you at the gym at 5 a.m. Cause he's already thinking about the next goal and milestone. Um, you know, most overnight successes take about 10 years of hard work before they become an overnight success and they don't see that sort of stuff. So, um, that coupled with my lack of having to develop discipline maturity really struggled early on. And so every time I did something like that, there's always times where like I twisted my ankle, uh, during 75 hard and, you know, it wasn't horrible. I could still walk on it, but it hurt. And, you know, I had a choice to make, do I, you know, put my head down and continue? Or do I give up? Do I focus or do I fold? Like Al Pacino said, and every single time, 
it, it, and so one, I go back to my earlier point. It's not as easy as you think it is. And two, and I don't care who you are. This is true for me today as it is for anybody else. Nobody is as tough as they think they are. You know, nobody's as tough as they think they are. And yeah, I've developed some discipline and I, but, but it's still not as tough as I, as I think it is sometimes. Um, you know, and David Goggins talks about that. He says, you need to find ways to callous your mind. And when you do stuff like that, you, you start to develop that callus, like just like I have calluses on my hands right now. However, you know, in order to get a callus, you usually start with a blister. And guess what, man? Blisters hurt. Even these little bitty blisters, you know, make it damn near impossible to walk. So you've got to be willing to go through that. And every single time, um, I, I, you know, it opened me up. It showed me what I was made of. And guess what? Nobody likes looking at what they're made of. We're all sinful, fallen, imperfect creatures. And when we look at that, you know, um, I'm a big movie guy. So I think of like, this is an obscure reference, the never ending story, right? When, when a tray, goes to that mirror and, and most people run screaming when it shows them what they're made of, you know, I've just been fortunate to have these obscure movies that I can apply in my life. I didn't like what I see either, <laughs> but yeah. do you run and hide? Do you go bury your head in the sand like an ostrich? Which, yeah, that sounds awesome. It's really cozy down here. But well, guess what? Your ass is still hanging out for everyone else to see and kick. Or do you say, okay, I don't like that. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally do something about that and, and go to work and do the internal work. And every time I've done those hard things, that's what I've done. And it just shows you what you're made of. Um, that's good. Yeah. It's really good. So how do you, as now a leader, what kind of things do you do to – kind of create that kind of mindset in the team? Mm, that's a great question. You know, this is, this is an overplayed cliche, but it's, it, they call them cliches, I think, because they're true. And that's just lead by example. And, um, you know, you've got Gandhi talked about that. You got to be the change that you want to see in the world. And so guess what? My philosophy is um, I can't expect something out of someone else that I'm not willing to do that. That's what leadership is, by the way. Um, a boss tells people what to do. I think of Borat, you know, oh, king of the castle, you do this, you do that. You know, that's a boss. That's a manager. A leader says, hey, follow me. Let's go. I'm not going to, you can't teach what you don't know and you can't lead where you won't go. So I'm not going to ask you to do stuff that one, I haven't done before. I'm not willing to do. And so that starts with me. So I'm the one that has to work out. You know, I'm a big fan that your body is a billboard of your level of personal development and discipline. So I take care of myself and guess what? That kind of translates back into a lot of cancers are kind of preventable due to lifestyle and diet. You know, this uh, crummy, you know, long haul, you know, high shelf life, low nutritional value food that's really, really easy, but creates all sorts of inflammation and problems. You know, so I take really good care of myself. I look good. I'm fit. You know, that way I've got the energy to not only work and, and put it out there, but I also save some when I'm home with my family. You know, you know, some people, you know, get home at four or five, six o'clock, whatever, and they're just done. You know, man, that's when the real work begins. That's when you got to be on point for, for your loved ones and the reason why you're working so hard. So I've got to be the leader. I read the books. I go to the seminars. I invest in myself. You know, I've invested more money and I've always read books. You know, I've always listened to stuff. You know, there's some free resources you get. But this year in particularly, I've invested more dollars in myself than I doubled it since last year. And guess what? We're still growing. The business I'm responsible for is up 20% year to date. And that's coming off of being up 54% uh, in 2021 over 2020. So sustainable growth over time. Um, I have to be the most disciplined, the most motivated, the most educated. You know, I've got to, when I say, hey, come follow me and people look underneath the hood and behind the curtain, they've got to say, hey, is this guy worth following? Um, it's pretty simple. The guy, the answer is either going to be yes or no. And you know what? There was a time the answer was, yeah, I don't know. And, and I've gotten to work on that. So that, that's my view of leadership. Yeah, I think we live very similar um, values on on those ends. And I've, you've done a lot of posts about 
uh, dating your wife, getting away. Uh, I, there's multiple things where I've like been like, amen, brother. I mean, I'm like <laughs> so in line with you. And, and it's so funny because that's the kind of my response. And I'm like, I know it's not deep, but that's all I'm feeling is like, yes, yes, more yes. And I love this so much, but you, you did something the other day that I think every entrepreneur, business owner, busy person needs to put into their quiver. And I do the same thing is you, we were in a conversation online with our group and you posted out the things that you eat. And I'm just sitting here watching and you know, you're, you're posting like your quick, pro, your quick go-to pro uh, protein. And then just today there was conversation about saying on the outside of the perimeter of the, the, the grocery store, all these things that me and my family do, but you had some, some things in there that. I think a lot of people don't put in their toolbox, like even things down to, I have a quick protein source. If I need to get a quick protein source, I am a busy individual. I am going to set myself up to win no matter what, whether that means I can't eat a steak right now, I'm going to have a protein drink because I know I need to get that protein so that I am mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually ready to supply my family and my the people who work for me and with me. So I really, really appreciate that story. I've seen it lived out over the last month or two, just in the way that you speak about those things. Did you learn those from your, your family when it was cohesive or is this something that's just kind of come together? Because I'm going to tell you so many people don't get this and it really does hold them back. Totally. Um, you know, the foundation came from my, my father was a hard work. He, he believed work was good therapy, right? That was one of his sayings. So you never told dad that you didn't feel well, because guess what? He'd work you twice as hard, you know? So you just learn to suck it up and, and get it done. And, you know, you, you might not be hundred percent that day. You might only be 80%, but guess what? You better give hundred percent of the 80% that you got, you know, now the nutrition and things like that. I think he might've worked out for like a week, you know, when he was alive <laughs> that I saw, but he grew up playing football. He was an athlete. You know, I played sport. So I kind of, that was a foundation, but then, you know, I love learning. I love knowledge, growth being one of core values, not just, you know, so that's all areas of life. So I've just constantly been working on being bigger, better, faster, stronger. And most of what I've learned, this is one thing I've noticed with people is um, everybody is afraid of making mistakes. And so they're so fearful of making mistakes that they don't even really try. Like, what if I give it my all and I fail? Like, I wouldn't want to work so hard to not achieve my goal. Uh, and I used to have that mindset. It's a very, uh, it's a very limiting mindset. It's a very uh, scarcity mindset. And what I've developed into is a more abundant mindset. Like, hey, I'm going to give it hell. I'm going to aim for the stars. And even if I don't make it, I'm still going to land on the moon. I'm going to be doing way better off than if I didn't give it all I got. And most of the lessons I learned is, you know, oops, don't do that again. That didn't work. I mean, that's the majority. 80% of my lessons are that. And 20% of the lessons are like, hey, man, that looks pretty good. I'm going to keep doing more of that. And then just you extrapolate that over a year, two, three, four, and, uh, you know, you grow and you get a lot of what to do. You do more of the things that work and less of the things that don't work and, and you grow. And, and this, this is not sexy, but, you know, I focus on just being 1% better each day. That's mm-hmm. it. Because, I mean, anybody can do that. I don't care who you are. And, you know, you ask someone, if you did that for a year, how much better would you be? The default answer is 365% better, which that's not the right answer. And even if it was true, that's still a hell of an improvement. But what they don't forget about is compounding, right? Einstein called that the uh, eighth wonder of the world. And the compound effect of getting better and better and better, you are 2,700 times better than you were when you started 360. That's 27 times better by just focusing on 1% a day. The challenge is 
1% day over day is very linear at first. It's almost non-recognizable. You've got to give it enough time to kind of go parabolic and exponential. And most people don't do that. And sometimes there's some backsliding, you know? Yeah. So not only do they not only give enough time, but then they backslide and they say, hey, this, whatever, this goal setting, this hard work, this diet, this nutrition plan, whatever doesn't work. And that's a mistake. Consistency. You know, I love the uh, Bill Gates quote that says most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10. And if you just focus on doing the right things consistently over a long period of time and get 1% better each day, man, a decade later, even before that, but especially that you will be unrecognizable. You won't recognize the person that you used to be. Yeah. I, I, I feel the exact same way. It's, and we, we obviously, I don't want to be cliche either, but we're obviously living in a time where things come very fast. If we want data, we open up our phone, we swipe, we type a few words or we talk and data comes really fast. If we want, you know, a dopamine hit, we can get that really fast. And that's a differentiator I see over and over and over again, is that 1% mentality and putting in the work. And then the other big one is that failure aspect you, you talked about, you know, like 80% of the things don't work, but continually, okay, I'm going to weed that out and focus on the things that work. I think those are wonderful takeaways for anybody, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Um, I mean, what have you done? You talked about investing in yourself. And this is something I also scream from the mountaintops about. It's like, you just always have to be investing in yourself. And you talked about you're spending more money, but then there's also growth. Mm. And I think that's a really hard concept for a lot of people to understand. So what, like break it down. Why does that work? Uh, why does it work? Well, it, it, here's, I'll, I'll preface this with nothing works unless you do. So it's not like I spend all this money and I get all these, I mean, there's a bookshelf right over here with a bunch of books on it, but guess what? They do me no good if I'm not going to prop them open. And if I prop them open, they don't do me any good unless I'm actually going to do the internal work of, okay, what am I really learning here and how does this apply to my life? And then go apply it. And then, you know, the 80, 20, we talked about earlier, you know, do less of what doesn't work and more of what does. So that, that preface is that it's not just showing up, the showing up's half the battle, but then you got to apply what you learn. Um, you know, and, and I really started investing heavily in myself a lot more than I did before, besides just $20 books in about 2017, you know, and I found mentors and things both online and in books that I really resonated with and that I wanted to do some deep dives with, you know, and so I'm a big fan of, you know, some people dig all these little shallow holes. They, they have this guy and this guru and this guru and this guru and this guru, and they have all these shallow holes and they don't really go deep. Um, so one, find someone you resonate with, you know, if they're abrasive and run you the wrong way, then, then you're probably not going to be fired up to go deep with that person. But man, drill, get all the oil out of the well you're currently digging, you know, um, even if it dries up a little bit, you know, get a geological survey, find out where the oil is supposed to be and keep digging. You know, don't shop. I, I love that story in the Napoleon Hill's book. You know, I think it's the second or third chapter where the guy stopped drilling two feet short from gold, sold all yeah. his stuff, you know, and then lo and behold, the people that bought his stuff for pennies on the dollar did that geological survey. And they said, hey, the gold should be right here. And lo and behold, that was two feet from when he stopped drilling. So don't be that guy or gal. Yeah. Um, so find people you resonate with and then and then go deep like I've done um, just so I started investing myself really heavily back in 2017 with some groups some seminars, some courses that really um, went deeper than the surface level stuff I was doing already. This, this year, man, I've spent several thousands of dollars. You know, I did an event with Jocko Willink and JP Denell where I learned leadership lessons from some ex Navy SEALs. You know, I've invested in a mastermind group, this apex thing that we're a part of. And man, the quality of people in that group, it's like, these are my people. 
I mean, man, it is it is awesome in that and how they pour into each other. And, and it's almost, um, you know, I'm relatively new to that group. Uh, it's almost overwhelming. First of all, all the stuff that's in there, it's almost like, I don't know what kind of value I'm going to add to this group, you know, and, and you kind of got to find that on your own. And um, my biggest advice to people there is just share what you do. And not everything that you share is going to be a home run. But guess what? What is, you know, second nature and common sense for you isn't for everybody else. So something as simple as I shared, you know, how I plan my schedule out, you know, just yeah, I just big. Yeah, well, and that was just me on a Sunday trying to like, what the hell do I post about? I don't know. I mean, I had some pancakes for breakfast. I don't think that's going to help the group. Um, you know, it was great memories with the kids. And every once in a while, I post about that stuff, too. But I'm like, all right, well, here's kind of something that, you know, Stuman talked about, you know, how he's married to his calendar and his calendar is his boss now. So let's I've kind of adopted the same mindset. And I had one gal that's like, man, that totally changed my life. Didn't think it would. It's just sharing what works and what's going on. You know, the protein stuff. You talked about that. You know, I've got I've got my collagen protein here. This is my coffee. <laughs> You know, I've got my grow, the protein bars, uh, you know, I've got a little can of tuna just in case I need it. You know, I've got some, you know, if I need it, I've got some bulletproof instant mix just in case, you know, I've got a, a coffee machine there. If I need a little quick hit of caffeine, you know, the protein drink with 30 grams of protein. So, I mean, it's just, yep. and a lot of what I've learned there is, man, I'm starving today and I don't want to eat this crappy fast food. What could I do about that? Well, if I had some stuff on standby, that'd be better. What could I put on stand? And you just fix it. You know, I didn't yeah. start off like that. You just fix it over time. It's really interesting. I have several points to put out because I've only been in this mastermind for two months and I immediately got in the same group as you got. And I tell everybody that I talk to because I was going through a major transition in business right after I joined, I probably got, you know, my year worth of value in a few weeks just by this, the connections and suggestions inside of that group, outside of that group. Um, and it was like the pain the pain I went through was very minimalized because I was drawing on a massive amount of people with all sorts of different experiences and outlooks. Um, so that post you made about the calendar, believe it or not, I'm like one thing I don't tell people a lot about. I used to talk about this a lot is I'm a, like a productivity nerd. Like for me, <laughs> like I have an entire system. I had a, I had a mentor and a coach who, who taught me who, taught me how to, it was like getting things done methodology, but 10 X. And so I have things are dialed and like, I know when I'm doing what and how I'm doing what and what needs to be on my list, what needs to be moved off of my list. And then I was looking at your calendar. I'm like, I'm really tracking everything. I'm really doing a good job, but I'm not blocking out some of the things that make a, will make move the needle more because I'm overwhelmed. I'm overdoing the work pieces so I went in that very day and redid my entire calendar and put in like the build your machine block. So that absolutely always gets done, which it already was. But the difference of having it on your calendar, not having it counted, that block can be filled really fast. And then I'm going to get it done no matter what. It's just my personality. It's going to bleed over. It's going to happen early in the morning. It's going to happen. I'm going to get it done. But now the stress with it isn't there. And so for me to take that value away as a complete productivity nerd and be and look at it and kind of do a self-evaluation. Whoa, I've let this part of my organization slip. Look at what Mark's done and come back full circle. So the value of those things, it's crazy how when we don't even know what to say and we share something and it changes somebody's life is pretty insane. So um, that's been been amazing. But I mean, it, it is. It's about calendar hacks. It's about food and fueling your body. It's about how you spend time with your family. Those are things entrepreneurs need. 
And I think being in these circles has been ridiculously amazing for me. It sounds like for you too. Absolutely. It has. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you are you who you hang out with, right? Um, I can't remember who it was. Well, two people, Charlie Tremendous Jones says, you know, you will be the same person you are today, five years from now, with the exception of the book, you, books you read and the people you meet. I think Jim Rohn said it where if you hang out with five idiots, you're going to be the sixth. So be very, very <laughs> careful yeah. on who you uh, enter, hang out with and spend time with and allow into your inner circle. And especially between the six inches between your ears. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. You said digging a bunch of shallow holes, like referring to like maybe books or learning. I read a lot of people are like, I read 52 books this year. I'm like, yeah, but what did you take away from it? So for me, I took in this new thing about a year and a half ago where I'm, I'm not just going to read a book. I'm going to read a book. If I like some stuff out of it, I'm going to reread it. And then I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to reread it until I've implemented all the things that I think are life-changing. That has been a game changer for me. I've done books like five times mm-hmm. um, and it's just like burned in my head. So I'm, I feel like I'm digging these really deep uh, fulfilling wells, wells that are overflowing now because once I worked on that one piece of that one thing I needed to work on and just kept digging in and digging in and digging in, then that, that area in my life over, overfills and then I move on to the next. So I love that you're kind of that kind of person. Let's go deep instead of wide and we'll eventually be wide. It's the 1% every day, right? Totally. So, well, here's yeah. what I love about exercise and physical fitness. Not only do I, you know, I've got this saying and I, I didn't, I've got maybe two original ideas, right? Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. So I stole this, but you know, when you look good, you feel good, you smell good, you sell good. And again, it's not tricking people into buying things they don't want or don't need, but everybody's sales is just another word for influence. And we're influencing people every single day. And the most important person you influence is yourself. That's leadership, leading yourself. That's why that's, you know, being the most is so important to me. So we're influencing our kids to make good decisions, to look both ways before they cross the street, to eat their vegetables. We're influencing our spouses to, you know, stay highly attracted to us and want to be in a long-term relationship, you know, because what the average marriage in the United States is like, what, seven or eight years? That's pathetic. That's, but, and, and the people that make it up past that are just white knuckling it. They're not truly happy. I mean, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so, uh, but what I love about working out, not only does it physically, you know, get you ready for the battle, whatever arena you're in, but that time that you spend exercising, I love to listen to audiobooks and podcasts. You know, I don't just listen to Harry Potter books when I'm working out. I mean, I'm listening to Andy Priscilla. I'm listening to Tim, Tim Grover's books. I'm listening to David Goggins book. That was on repeat forever. In fact, same here. <laughs> I was, I was a part of this challenge to, run um it was to run or walk a mile a day for 90 days a couple of years ago and uh it was inspired by a guy named robert ravencraft who lives down in south beach miami who's ran eight miles a day i think for uh, 45 years something crazy everything hasn't missed a day through her and sometime he, he'll be running along the beach and he'll see someone drowning so he'll go save their life and then he'll get back and finish his eight mile just no ridiculous yeah no big yeah. deal just an average tuesday so the top five people were going to get a t-shirt um, in both, you know, mileage and consistency, the top five would get a t-shirt and a book autographed by Raven. The top three, uh, would get invited to go run with them down in South beach. So I looked at my wife and my wife already knew she's like, you're going to go for that. Aren't you? I'm like, yeah. So I started running eight miles a day in honor of his, his thing. And then the last, uh, 30 days I ran nine miles a day. And I think I even threw in a, uh, a half marathon in there just for good measure. And the, here's the funny thing I learned during that. And so I would have these books, it took me about an hour and a half. You know, I'm not wicked fast. Um, so I had these audiobooks and I was listening to Tim Grover. I was listening to another one about Kobe Bryant. And finally, I stumbled across Can't Hurt Me. And that book was powerful. And then I went to another book that 
you know, don't get me wrong. It was probably a good book. I don't remember, but it was so boring. I'm like, no, no, no. I had to go back to Goggins and I listened to Goggins books, the remainder of that challenge. And then uh, when the numbers came out, I finished number two out of the 1200 people that, uh, that joined that thing, which was an awesome accomplishment, but this is just how I'm wired is I was kind of pissed. I wasn't number one, you know, and, and, and it was, it was just, it's being happy. It's being satisfied. It's being, or actually it's being grateful, but never satisfied. Cause I knew that there was more in my tank. And every time I do something like that, I'm like, I bet you I could have done more. And then I evaluate what I could have done and then I go apply it. And that's how you get bigger, better, faster, stronger. But the, the nugget there that I started with is the audiobooks, And I always put them at about one and a half speed. Um, so yeah, they talk a little bit faster. It's not like Mickey Mouse or the Chipmunks or anything like you would think, but you just get, you know, if you're working out for an hour, you get an hour and a half's worth of knowledge in there. And that's, that's getting a multiplier on your time. Yeah, I will confirm <laughs> Uh, I started rucking, so I was carrying like 20, 30 pound pack and just doing, you know, three, four miles, five miles. And then I started during that, I started listening to can't hurt me the first time. And then it was like, then I started running with my ruck and then I started running. It's like that, that book, you know, there's only so many times you can do it. I probably did it four, but that book will motivate you past pain and your own limitations. So incredibly well, that's pretty impressive though. Second out of 1200. I mean, that's, uh. That's consistency though. What you just shared with me is consistency because some people will be like, oh, I'm going to run 12 miles a day. But they, instead of like being like, no, I just need to be consistent with what I wanted to do. That's, that's that showing up because you can continue doing that. And that's a, that's a really good testament, man. Yeah, it's well, been, go keep going. One, yes. one more point on that is that I thought after 30 days of doing that, it would be easy breezy and I'd be cranking them out in an hour. It never got easy. And I never, I mean, occasionally I could crank it out in an hour and 20 minutes, but sometimes I just wouldn't have it in the tent and it took me an hour and 40 minutes. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, why am I not getting better? Well, I am, but because I'm putting out at a higher, I'm getting more output and because I'm putting out, it's just as hard. So it never got easier. And so the more you can realize that it's, you know, it's going to get easier on a certain level because yes, you're going to get better, but it should never be easy. If, if it's easy, you're not doing it right because you're going to be putting out more. And that level of discipline uh, has served me well over the years. Yeah, that's uh, my wife has my wife is goes down rabbit holes and she just went down the um, the ice bath or cold exposure rabbit hole <laughs> and uh, with Huberman and she's all into science. If there's not science to back it and it's not like dialed in and like all the elements aren't presented, she's not going to do it. So, of course, Huberman, if you listen to him, is very scientific and then he kind of explains things and she's like got to do ice baths. I'm like, or cold showers. I'm like, well, first of all, we live in Texas. doesn't get that cold, but okay. Right. Um, but I'd given up because I'm like, why am I doing this? And she explained because it's hard. It's freaking hard to get to end your shower in a very stressful, unenjoyable <laughs> manner. And it reminded me that over the last three years, I've been doing things so consistently so consistently, I, you know, an hour and a half of workouts every single day, two different times, of course, um, all this stuff so consistently that it's become rather simple. It's rather easy for me to do. And stepping back into that, oh, this sucks. It's been pretty invigorating. So it was a good reminder that we just always, there's always going to be things that are going to be challenging and life is challenging. So we've got to condition ourselves for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The more comfortable you can be being uncomfortable and getting out of your comfort zone, the better you'll be because, you know, it's not the Darwin says it's not the strongest of the species that survive. It's the most adaptable and how you get adaptable is getting outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And, uh, 
I just have to tell this story because I tell it all the time. So that's why I have a, if you're, if you're seeing this, I have a big picture of a, a Buffalo or American bison behind me. And are you familiar with the, the story of the Buffalo? Mark? Um, maybe go ahead and tell it. I'll okay. let you know. So, if that's yeah. the one so I, 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 I don't, don't want to mess it up. It's my goal <laughs> to tell this probably five times a week. So this is a great opportunity. So, um, up, up North Montana, Wyoming, um, Canada, the, the Buffalo will see a storm coming over the mountain. And, uh, when a storm is approaching, they will literally turn towards the storm mm. and run directly into it and therefore they get through it faster they still endure pain and suffering but they get through it faster cattle on the other hand will see a storm and turn the other way and run from it now they're never going to outrun a storm so they are actually in the storm much longer have much higher death rate and much higher injury rate because they keep running from the the pain that is impossible to avoid so I think that's basically what you're saying is we've got to continue to push into those hard things because we will be stronger, we'll get through it faster, and we'll, we'll endure, and we'll be stronger and better for it once we get through. So Yes. You know, uh, I, I looked at the people, my mentors, when I first started, and from the outside looking in, they appeared to have it all figured out. Great lives, you know, great income. Uh, and I kept on waiting. And I think we're, we're sold a false bill of goods here in the United States with this whole, you know... Uh, work hard and then retire and live the life of Riley and don't don't work and golf and swim and watch daytime and whatever you do right well one daytime tv sucks um I don't like tv in general but you know now that Bob Barker's dead you know it's even worse than it used to be um Oprah's off air so um you know it's everything is like solve all these problems so that eventually you have no problems that's that's kind of the the philosophy there and so I would solve these problems and then move on and guess what those problems would creep back up and I'm like man I thought I solved that so I'd solve it again. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? These same things or different variations of them kept coming up. And then the more I got to know these people, and I think this is a challenge with men in particular, because we are, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm 43. So I was raised to suck it up, be a man, don't cry. Or, uh, you know, I don't want to hear about your sissy little feelings because I'll give you something to cry about. So I was, I was taught to disown my feelings. And so everybody wants to be John Wayne. It's not very manly for me to say, hey, man, I'm struggling with some stuff, but everybody does. And so um, as I've gotten to know these people and we've, we've grown, you know, both uh, emotionally and mentally and, and mature wise, like we can, we can open up and share like these guys don't have a lot. They're still dealing with stuff. It's just, they deal with it so quickly that from the outside looking in, it appears like it's not there. And so when I realized that, that, Hey, there's going to be a time when I don't have problems. And that the only time that's going to be is when I'm dead. So as long as I'm having problems, that means, you know, God's still using me to grow. Uh, so I look forward to problems. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't go creating them, you know, unintentionally, but my attitude towards problems has shifted so that when I see one, you know, I might start off like, oh man, not it, but I'm like, wait a minute. I catch myself. I'm like, this is an opportunity to learn and grow. Let's go get this puppy. And so my attitude has shifted and, and yeah, running into the storm and, and being excited for the growth that's going to occur. But, you know, growth doesn't come without growing pains, you know, and everybody wants the growth just like the blister mentality, but no one wants to go through the growing pains to get them. There's no, there's no easy way around it. Absolutely. 100% in alignment in that sense. Uh, go ahead and, and uh, to wrap up, why don't you go us your, your 30 second elevator pitch, just so we're left with a reminder <laughs> of what you do. And then we'll, we'll have all your links in the, in the podcast show notes so that viewers can find you. Yeah, absolutely. Let me, uh, you know, I'll give you the pitch and then I, I, I've got something to close it down with. And it's cool. just, um, again, this isn't for everybody and I'm totally okay with that. You know, um, 
you know, but unfortunately bad things happen to good people, right? They, like my father get diagnosed with cancer. They have car accidents, babies are born early, just all the unexpected health things that happen. And physically and emotionally, those are very, very challenging times. However, financially speaking, it's very, very challenging as well. And so health insurance is designed to pay doctor bills. What we do is we pay money directly to families so they have resources to keep the lights turned on, keep the bills paid, sometimes travel and get the best care, like I mentioned earlier, and really focus on staying together as a family and not having to worry about all this other stuff that's going on financially. So, um, And the best part about it, like I said, after so many years, if you stay healthy and don't use it, we will give you 100% of the money you paid in minus anything that you've used. So with the example of my clients last week, they didn't use any of it. I brought them all their money back. Um, and that's, that's pretty fun. It's like my little Ed McMahon moments. I, I, and I hate, I hate that people need to use our plans. I wish, uh, I pray that we would find a cure to heart disease, cancer, and all these things. And I'd have to go find something else I believe in to sell. That would be, that'd be a glorious day in my opinion. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, so I hate that people need to use what we do, but I love being there for them in some of the biggest storms of their lives. And I really get excited when I give those money back checks, because that means they've been healthy. Yeah. So that's what I do. And, you know, this podcast is titled stories that sell. And uh, I want to kind of close with, um, and you're more than welcome to ask me more questions, but, you know, I remember in fifth grade, you know, I loved baseball cards. My dad was a big baseball fan. So I'd orchestrate these crazy multi-people, multi-card trades. And I remember someone's mom said, you know what, you should be a salesman. And I had this picture in my mind of this dirty, sleazy, disheveled looking, hey, let's do a deal where I can take advantage of you. And guess what? Nobody wants to be that person. And so I, I put off the idea of being a salesperson until I found some things I believed in, the books was one of them. The mortgages was another one. This one is another one. I can't sell something. I mean, I could, but again, that's ice to Eskimos. That's a con man. And that's, that's no, um, I sleep really, really good at night knowing that we do a good thing and people are better off, uh, having what we have and that we deliver 10 times the value in owning our stuff than we ask for in, in the monthly premiums. So, you know, lean into it, you know, uh, sales is just influence. Like I talked about earlier. And I love the Napoleon Hill quote it goes something like inside every adversity, is the seed of equal and opposite benefit. And so this, this terrible, terrible tragedy that happened to our family, and I was angry at God for a long time. I mean, I was a very, this is a whole nother story, but very, very uh, faithful, uh, very, very spiritual, very, very devoted. And then dad died, mom moved out, my family imploded. And I thought to myself, well, God, if this is how you, you know, I think I can do better on my own. You know, when you're creating in God's image, you kind of think you can be your own God sometimes. So I spent 15 years of being, and I always believed in the creator. I was just mad. I was frustrated mm -hmm. with how things shook out. And it took my wife and I bringing other human beings into the world to kind of evaluate what kind of household do we want to bring our kids up in and, and to kind of start going back and, and saying, okay, God, I tried on my own for 15 years. Maybe I could use your help. <laughs> this is, I, I'm not doing as good as I thought I was on my own. Um, but you know, that tragedy that happened, I would have never wanted to be a cancer doctor. When I grew up, I would have never worked at the place where I met my wife. I wouldn't have the three awesome kids that we have now. I would have this awesome relationship and I'm not perfect, but in fact, I'm going to post about this probably today. My wife and I got into it a little bit yesterday, you know? Uh, but guess what? When, and I read this book, I, I'll have to reference it. Oh man, what the heck's this guy's name? But he talks about that it, he did this research on these couples and he thought that the most successful couples would be the ones that don't fight. But he found that uh, the couples that fight are actually the ones that are, because the ones that don't fight don't share their feelings. They don't communicate. Mm -hmm. And communication is one of the keys to relationships, as you know. So it's the ones that actually do fight and do share their disagreements, but have figured out how to kind of fight without fighting. And even if there are some feelings hurt, the biggest thing is the recovery, the recovery from the fight. And when I said, hey, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't really mean it that way. This is kind of where I was And she's like, yeah, I told you. And we recovered beautifully. And I'm, and I'm just thinking to myself, when you start posting on a regular basis, 
you know, you're like, this is going to make a great post, you know, and it's just being real. It's being transparent. It's being vulnerable. I'm going to have to admit to everybody that my wife and I had a spat, you know, and, uh, but guess what? This is how we got through it. And there was a point in time when I didn't know this stuff. So I would not have met my wife. I wouldn't have the beautiful family have, I wouldn't have the career that I have. I wouldn't be as passionate about cancer and, uh, and, and the families, like a lot of good has come from this tragedy. So while I understand God didn't cause that to happen, that's just sinful nature and, and bad things happen to good people. But, but if you let him, um, he can use those things to mold you and then turn them into that seed of equal and opposite benefit that Napoleon Hill talks about. That's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. I don't think I have anything to add or question. I think we're <laughs> in a hundred percent alignment there. And I think that's just like mic drop moment. So thank yeah. you so much, Mark, for coming on and sharing all these amazing things, um, that your experience over the years has brought you to understand and lead and talk about. No, oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Right, everybody, that wraps up this episode. Do the thing. Go subscribe. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.